This is uh, the third episode, second season to Joseph Stories. I'm still dealing with some uh, important things that show up in Genesis about the story of Joseph. So I'm going to pick up from where I left off last time. The first test. Joseph's first test to discover what kind of man he was dealing with began by accusing his brothers of something so outlandish, so wild, so crazy, that everybody who heard it was open-mouthed shocked. Joseph accused his brothers, of all things, of being spies. This accusation was truly ridiculous and absurd. What evidence did the governor have? For everyone knew these, these were Hebrews, and everyone knew that the Hebrews were a small, insignificant group who claimed this weird idea that there was only one higher power. Why in the world would Hebrews be trying to spy out powerful Egypt as if the Hebrews were considering an invasion? So again, this accusation was utterly ridiculous. And yet, as crazy as this was, Joseph was purposefully accusing his brothers of something they obviously were not guilty of in order to see what his brothers would do in response. And what was the brothers' response? They claimed repeatedly and ironically to be, quote, honest men. Joseph must have either choked or chuckled to himself. To try to discern the truth, Joseph continued pressing his brothers with the accusation that they were spies, dishonest men. And as a result of this pressing by Joseph, maybe for the first time, the brothers acknowledged a little something of who they really were. For they said, we're 12, 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Hmm. Ah, finally, a little piece of truth. They acknowledged that one of their brothers was no more. But why would such information be important to this governor? How did it prove they were honest men? Why even tell the governor this? For he wouldn't have known one way or the other if they had left it out. Conviction. One is no more? Hmm. When people are in the condition Joseph's brothers were in, they need some pressure put on them for conviction to even have a shot at beginning to work in their hearts. This may, be appear, this may appear to be cruel to some, but it is not. Conviction is conviction. It doesn't feel good because it's convicting. The very meaning of conviction has the idea of pressure in it, and the ungodly don't like how that feels. In fact, they don't even understand it. Guilt, conviction, shame, etc. are good things, for a person's conscience can become seared to the point that they feel none of these. That is a very bad thing. Romans 1, 18-32. A person can also think so highly of himself and his pious actions, such as the Pharisees, that he never feels any of these things. His lofty religious spirit opinion of himself insulates him from, his, from this loving work of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is not pressure for the sake of pressure. 
The pressure Joseph put on his brothers gave them the opportunity to make a choice. Under this pressure, the brothers could choose to rationalize the situation as being honest men who were being mistreated by this bad old governor, or this could start asking themselves some hard questions about themselves and what they've done. The brothers do seem to experience some tiny amount of conviction from the pressure put on them. For while in jail, Joseph heard them say, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. So they're feeling a little bit cursed. Unable to discern mercy. Unrepentant man, men cannot discern mercy when it's being shown to them. And this is exactly the case with the brothers. They do not see that the extra food and provisions and their silver being returned to them is an act of mercy. Instead, they're suspicious. Why? Because they have a guilty conscience. They could have thought, hey, each of us have had our personal pouch of silver returned to us in our own bag of food. This is no accident. Somebody did this purposefully. Maybe the man in Egypt is really a nice guy, and he's only looking out for his country and wants to give us some benefit of the doubt. This is what an innocent heart would have thought. But a heart that has something to hide sees any act of mercy with suspicion. Any act of testing of their character is seen as sin on the part of the person who they sinned against. They aren't trusting because they themselves are not trustworthy. We know at this point in the process the brother's conviction is not complete. We know this because they arrive back home. They do not tell their father Jacob the truth again. They do not tell Jacob what they had felt when they were thrown into prison for three days. They did not tell their father that all that happened to them in Egypt was because of what they had done to Joseph. They still were not coming clean. Instead, their entire report consists of telling Jacob how the mean man in Egypt had mistreated them because, after all, they were honest men, appearing to do right. When the brothers arrived the second time in Egypt, they feel that it would be best to initiate a conversation with the governor's steward instead of with the governor himself. They must be feeling a little intimidated. They tell the steward the details of what had happened with their payment for the food they had purchased on the first trip. The brothers were doing the right thing here. But the reason they were doing this was not because they were just truly such honest men. They were coming clean about this because they feared the governor's power to destroy them. Fear, not integrity, produced their confession. And yet, in response to this right thing the brothers were doing, Joseph Steward has a significant answer. He tells them, your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. Treasure. The statement should have shaken the brothers to the very core. For if they were honest men, humble men, and godly men, they should have produced the question, why? Why is he doing that? But again, only a person who has faced the magnitude of his sin can be shaken by the magnitude of mercy. And when a person is shaken by the magnitude of mercy, humility is the only right response. 
Joseph's brothers, though still, still don't get it. This is how unrepentant hearts are. The hardness fends off the mercy. Second test is a more personal test. So, in yet another attempt to try to help his brothers, Joseph puts them through a precisely individualized and personalized test. Joseph's final test began with having his personal cup put into Benjamin's bag. Then, giving the brothers time to leave Egypt for home, Joseph sent his sheriff to pull them over and search them. When the sheriffs caught up with the brothers, as per Joseph's specific instructions, they confronted them with, why have you repaid good with evil? An incredibly ironic question. Is this question about Joseph's cup? Or what they did to Joseph? The brothers are confused. They have no idea what the sheriffs are talking about. So once again, the brothers respond by claiming to be honest men. And they were so sure of their honesty that they proudly pronounced that they would give up their lives if the cup were found on any one of them. This is not about the cup. This is about integrity. Consequently, when the sheriffs found Joseph's cup in Benjamin's bag, the test now begins in earnest. Unaware that they're being set up, the brothers must have just stood there in stunned silence, having no idea what to say. For to insist on their innocence with the evidence in the sheriff's hand would be ludicrous. Again, this is dripping with irony. Joseph's test presented the brothers with two choices. First, they could choose to leave Benjamin to fend for himself for what it appeared he had done and return to their father to tell that what happened to Benjamin was not their fault. And this time, they would actually be telling the truth. In this test, Joseph was bringing his brothers right back to the beginning. Joseph's test was designed to give his brothers the opportunity to get, get rid of, of Benjamin, to look like honest men, and to think that they were not being dealt with by Yahweh for what they had done to Joseph. Or secondly, they could see that this was Yahweh's dealing with them for their unresolved sin. Return to Egypt to support in support of Benjamin who they knew was innocent, and to take the undeserved punishment together like truly honest men. And if the brothers were to take this choice, they knew there could be very serious consequences for being thieves, such as very prolonged imprisonment, slavery, or even execution. Finally, the brothers make a right choice. They return to Egypt with Benjamin to face whatever the man in Egypt would do to them. And when they stood in front of this man, it is Judah who's been humiliated in the Tamar affair, who speaks to the rest of the brothers. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Again, which guilt? Guilt over having the governor's cup in their possession? Or guilt over what they've done to their brother? One, they were not truly guilty of. The other, profoundly so. Amazingly, Joseph does not relent with his test at this point. Instead, he pushes his test even further. He presses the brothers by giving them the opportunity to turn their backs on Benjamin as they had him and to return to the father and to get away with it all. Having been humbled, though, Judah knew he could not and should not take advantage of Joseph's tempting offer. 
His heart is beginning to repent, as evidenced by his confession and acknowledgement of what he and the others had done. And in his telling, he emphasizes that it is Father who was hurt the most when they did what they did to Joseph. Wow, they're starting to think about somebody beside themselves. Possibly for the very first time in Judah's life, he's thinking about someone other than himself. Judah further emphasizes that it will be their father who will be injured even more if they now lose Benjamin. Judah ultimately realizes that their actions against Joseph dishonored their father and that they, the brothers, deserve the most severe of punishment for what they did. Judah is now willing to suffer for the sake of and the release of another, what he should have been willing to do for Joseph so many years before. The repentant heart hurts over the hurt his actions caused another. The repentant heart openly acknowledges this. The repentant heart does not try to control the repentance process. The repentant heart wants to do whatever he can to make things as right as possible. And the repentant heart focuses on the evil he did. It does not deflect to another, much less making his victim the problem. God's heart through reconciliation. Chapter 45 is a picture of real reconciliation. As I noted, Joseph's desire for reconciliation with his brothers was serious. In uh, chapter 45, 1 and 2, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. The brothers were absolutely terrified to silence when they realized it was Joseph they'd been dealing with. They instantly realized that Joseph could have and maybe should have gotten revenge, but he had not. Instead, they now realized how merciful and gracious, gracious Joseph had been to them, despite what he had done to what they had done to him. Joseph realizes, maybe for the first time, what Yahweh has been doing all along. He realized what his plan had been for him and for his brothers and for their families since before his birth. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Felt so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So, Joseph gives forgiveness to these men who were really, truly, and honestly repenting. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Biblical repentance is a complete change of mind, and from that changed mind, a change in behavior. It can include an apology and an acknowledgement of the wrong done, and even some remorse, but at its foundation, it is a change in behavior. In addition, someone who's truly repenting has grasped that their actions have hurt and caused damage. Thus, they want to repair what resulted from what they did. Such a person is not trying to control things, protect themselves, or manipulate the situation. They put themselves at the mercy of the person or persons their actions hurt, willing to do whatever it takes to make things right. Right. 